Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and wherever you are. Welcome to A Day in the Lenses. This is a podcast that highlights the lives of entrepreneurs, nobles, scholars, entertainers, and socialites. My name is Lloyd Leon, and today I'm going to uh, release an interview I did over the summer in recognition of National Sober Day. Albeit National Sober Day was September 14th. I'm about a week late in releasing this. Please forgive me. But the spirit of the interview, I hope, will sustain um, throughout the month or throughout the year. And hopefully it will sustain someone's life. Uh, hopefully it, it impacts someone in a positive way. Uh, that was our intention. The unique circumstance around this interview is that my good friend, Kenny Watson, the author of 12 Faces of Sober, he was in town. And we also have a mutual friend by the name of Faith Terry, who owns a, a sobriety home for women. And my thoughts, I said, well, let's let's have a conversation. I'm not I'm not sure what I'm going to name this episode. It should be named Murphy's Law. I had a, a facility scheduled. Um, or at least I thought it was scheduled. I was told it was scheduled, but it was 4th of July weekend. And let's just say the doors were locked when I got to the, pl- the place, which is fine. Uh, there was just, a, it happens. Things happen. Uh, but beyond that, I immediately went into survivor mode, I guess. This was Kenny's last night in Minneapolis. So we had to get the interview done. So I went to the closest place possible, uh, hoping that they would have a private room, a dining room. Maybe we could do an interview. And um, they did not. So we opted to do it on the patio. Maybe not the best decision. Knowing we're dealing with the outside elements and no readable outlets to plug things into, things could be a little imperfect so please excuse some of the background noise i did my very best to try to consolidate all the sources i had to make a uh, a pleasant listening experience so with that being said i'm going to jump into this and we're going to figure out what we're going to title this episode hope you enjoy it thank you Hello everyone, thanks for joining us. We have a special episode today. Uh, we have uh, my dear friends with me. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a very important subject that touches a lot of us in America and across the world. Uh, I read a statistic today that uh, about 7% of the U.S. population uh, deals with alcohol issues, uh, including uh, alcoholism. And today, uh, I guess, we have uh, my sister, Faith Terry. Uh, she's the founder of uh, Journey's, Journey's Home. Right. And we also have my brother, Kenny Watson. And uh, he's the author of uh, 12 Faces of Sober. He's coming up on his uh, fifth, uh, fifth year of 
surprising. I thank you all for coming. And um, I don't know where we should start. I could start with the statistic of um, 7% of the U.S. population dealing with alcoholism. Um, could, who would like to, I guess, identify alcoholism or is there a difference between alcoholism and Alcohol abuse, or is there what is considered a definition of an alcoholic? Uh, I don't know. You want to take that? Ooh, I, don't know. I don't know the difference. Ah, sure they. Is. I mean, alcoholism is is uh, the disease more or less that you suffer from, and um, alcohol abuse is you're still in it. You're 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 still uh, punishing yourself. Um, and, uh, so that, that to me would be the definition of the two. Um, I, uh, I, uh, abused alcohol myself, uh, for 12 years. And, um, now I'm dealing with the alcoholism, the after effects, um, that comes with, uh, abusing alcohol. And, um, we have health issues. Uh, I, I suffer from diabetes. Um, at one point I had a uh, high cholesterol. Um, high blood pressure, um, issues with my pancreas. So those are some of the effects that alcohol had on me. But also liver is uh, another one, another issue that people uh, suffer from uh, dealing with alcoholism. Do you have any uh, thoughts on how you would define alcoholism? Or? No, I think Kenny defined it pretty well. Now, Journey's, Journey's house, right? Well, Journey's Homes is a women's sober house that I opened in 2018. Um, I kind of, it was brought to my attention, the need for more housing, and especially the sober community. So um, after doing my research and reaching out to another sober house owner, um, she kind of walked me through the ins and outs of what a sober house is, what it takes to have one, and I just kind of, I wanted to do something to help the community, so, and I wanted to be an entrepreneur at the same time, so. So your entry point was more of a, uh, from uh, financial. Right. In a sense of, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. not in a sense where you were affected or a, family, a close family member. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I think probably a majority of America has somebody in their family that's affected, whether it's alcoholism or any other addiction. Um, so my house isn't just specifically for alcohol abuse or alcoholism. Um, mine is for all addict addictions. Is it what? Yeah, I people coming with opioid you know, addiction. Obviously, that's a really big thing going on right now in the U.S., um, it can be anything, meth, you know, crack, I've had a little bit of everything, heroin, <laughs> so yeah, all addictions. So you all approach, and, and we're, we're having a conversation, I don't have like organic, I mean, I, don't have, I have some questions, but I do want this to, you know, be more conversation, um, the approach, so the approach to uh, sobriety, is there a, a base structure or base framework for all addictions, so to speak, you know, uh, I know you, uh, you can't probably personally speak to it, but in, in your experience in Sober House, 
Is there a program that, so it sounds like you have a program that fits, fits all? Yeah, it's, um, well, sober housing is more like independent living for after when you go to treatment. So whether you do like a 30-day, 60-day, or 90-day program, you some people still need structure after that. You know, you don't want to have them going in for a 30-day program and then just throwing them out to the world, per se. So sober housing comes in to where you can still have that same structure, but you still have a little bit of your independence, freedom, you know, kind of to maintain your normal life, you know, because you can still go to work, you can go to school, you know, you can do pretty much whatever you would do if you lived on your own, but you have all these other rules in place to help keep that behavior, I guess, if you would say, behavior in intact. So, yeah, that's where we come in. And Mr. Mr. Watson, what was your, tell us about your walk and whereas... When did you know that you, how did you get to sobriety? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I know there was ebbs and flows, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, I think, but, not to cut you off, the, mm-hmm. the, the last time I realized it was uh, when I was sitting in the homeless shelter, the Phoenix Rescue Mission gotcha. in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm-hmm. That's when I realized I hit rock bottom. And I realized, like, that as, as a, the AA you know, one of the phrases they use that like you realize your life is unmanageable. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've had hard times, but that was the first time I realized like, okay, yeah, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. And so with that, it was like, I'm, I'm in this homeless shelter with no direction. And I was sober uh, for like 45 days and was just kind of just going with the flow following uh just whatever they had going on like it kind of was in one ear not the other but I was more more so just focusing on like okay where am I going to live this and this and that and it took me to leave Arizona to um, get sober I um, was on the bins after I got kicked out of the homeless shelter I was on the bins for like two weeks where I drank nonstop. and um, but during that time my mom she uh, pulled me to the side one day and was like you know, how can I help you, you know, get sober? And she's, I'll do whatever it takes. You know, I don't want to bury my son. And I'm the youngest of five, so I can just imagine, you know, saying that. So for me, I just kind of, um, that's when I took it serious. I made the phone call and um, went to the VA up in St. Cloud. And it was the best decision of my life. So it, it definitely has uh, changed, changed my life uh, getting sober. It's the best decision I think I've ever made. I'm glad. I'm glad you made them. So I've known I've known both of you for years, mm-hmm. many years. And it's and to see our growth over these years. As many we're gonna say on camera or <laughs> a little while, but it's, uh, it's been a, a beautiful, uh, a beautiful thing to, to know you all and to see you, uh, see your growth. Um, let's say. Uh, I'm going to touch on your book. I read most of them. I come here. By one, uh, if not all of them, but close to um, With your beginning, um, I'm trying to understand uh, it's hereditary. For some, you do say it's hereditary, or um, maybe just coming out of behavior or so forth. But. Um, in the beginning, you speak about mimicking your, your father. Right. 
Is that um, your, was that your entry point? Yeah, well, as a kid, um, I remember as, as far back as like five or six, my dad would send me uh, to the kitchen. You know, usually be you know Sundays, game day, and um, he'd be like, "Junior, go get the go get the beard." I'm like, okay, he was like, "Yeah, you can open it up," but I didn't. You know, of course, at at, at that age, it, uh, at that age, I, I I wasn't comprehending that this could eventually become a problem. And because my dad, you know, was in the military and alcoholism was already rampant in our family, um, he had alcohol everywhere. So he didn't really care because he probably was thinking, like, my son's not going to be drinking. But little did he know I was. And the first time I got drunk, um, I was 12 years old. Hence the, the title. That's a portion of the reason why the title. But, um, yeah, it's definitely hereditary. Um, it, you know, alcoholism... Uh, was uh, big in my family uh, on both sides, my mom and my dad. Um, I, I witnessed it. Uh, I still witnessed the abuse of some of my family members, but I just know that I just can no longer do That's interesting. I always thought 12 faces of sober. Mm -hmm. I always uh, connected it to, and or initially it connected it to 12. The right. No, it has a lot of people. A lot of people associate that because once they see the word sober, mm -hmm. but the twelve symbolizes the the twelve years of abuse of alcohol. Twelve also means the year I started drinking, which was twelve. And the faces I got that from um, when I was in treatment. Um, each in one of the groups that we had every day Monday through Friday, it was uh, one you know sheet of paper have all these different faces of emotions and each day you had to describe your mood it could be angry it could be sad it can be joyful depressed or whatever it is and so like i tried to really think about it each time that like each each time that it was asked to me um to really think about it so and i thought about it when i was going through like how i should i you know title it and i had the paper already in front of me so it was like oh okay well and that's why in the book itself, there's some of the chapters are listed as faces and, you know, sad face or whatever it is. And it kind of threw people off because I didn't go through each and every chapter and label it by the faces. So because I after a while, I kind of was like, I, I don't know if I want to do it. It's kind of generic. So then I'll just kind of remix it and do it a certain way. So if you honestly know my life, then you'll know, like, OK, why I made this title a certain way and stuff like that. How hard is it, and maybe you're not speaking from uh, a personal, um, but you may hear stories, because <clears throat> I've heard stories, I wonder how hard is it to stay sober, you know, because it's alcohol, even though it affects so many people, and, and if you view it in a negative way, but, um, but it is portrayed through our, our media as a very positive thing. Like, said our sporting events, zone, doing the, uh, doing the games. Uh, just recently, a friend of us, a friend of ours told, um, told me that uh, during the, the Milwaukee Bucks, they're in the, in the playoffs right now, and they got their did their did district right in front of the, the stadium, you know. And when you go in this uh, in this did district, there are stands, but most of the stands have alcohol. 
Not, not even water. It's just mostly providing alcohol. So I can only imagine um, you know, a person struggling with that, uh, with, like you said, a disease, uh, trying to uh, restrain from having a drink when they're having, trying to, you know, have a good time in a, in a positive way. But uh, temptation is only around the corner. And uh, so it's really, it has to be hard because as, I mean, you, your house deal with alcoholism and drugs, what have but there's, it doesn't, alcoholism doesn't, or alcohol itself doesn't have the same stigma, mm -hmm. even though it can affect uh, many people uh, in the same way, uh, in a stifling way, I should say. Uh, can you speak on that or how to stay sober? you have any suggestions on how, um, when you're, you know, I don't know if I have any suggestions. <laughs> I kind of wanted to touch on when you said that. I think that alcohol is correlated with having a good time. You know, people drink, oh, we're partying, you know, we're all hanging out, whatever. But they don't think of further, you know, past the hanging out time. You know, like, are you TV drinking? Or is it only when you're doing that? Or, you know what I mean? Um, but, I mean, just speaking to some of my ladies in the house, if, I think it with any addiction, not just alcohol, it's hard. I mean, I think not even just related to drug addiction. I mean, you can have, I don't know, a shopping addiction or, you know, whatever addiction. And it's just hard to, to stop it, you know, cold turkey. And I also think um, it's usually, I. this is my own opinion. I'm not a psychiatrist or anything, but I think there's something more deeply rooted sometimes. So some type of trauma or something that may have happened in, in someone's past and they're kind of self-medicating, you know, trying to deal with whatever it was. So just like I said, speaking with the ladies in the house, a lot of times there's abuse, you know, it could be childhood abuse, it could be um, a significant other. Um, I've had stories told to me that uh, one lady was in my house and she told me that her cousins gave her acid at like the age of seven and I'm just like where was your mom you know kind of thing or where was anybody that was you know protecting you or it, 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 it's crazy but you know not everybody has that growing up you know the parents that are looking out for them or family or whatever and they're around people that are doing it and it's just like it's passed around it's like it's fun you know and then that's what addiction so that's just my opinion on that and um to, to go like touch a little bit further on what faith is saying um one thing that i've uh, acquired over this time is that a lot of African-American families don't, at least when we were growing up, address mental health. Mm -hmm. I I had issues growing up as a kid, and it was like, you just had to do it. Mm -hmm. And we didn't, even though my dad had military insurance, we weren't getting sent for that. That, that wasn't something that was coming in my household. And having conversations um, with, you know, with African-Americans, it seems to be the norm that we're not doing it, but other people are. And they're quick to throw their son or daughter in a rehab or send them away to these type of facilities. Or you might be going to school, your best friend might disappear for however many months and you're not even knowing like, oh, so-and-so is in high school with a drug addiction or alcohol addiction. 
Um, I think that, you know, over maybe the last five or maybe 10 years, it's starting to be a talking point amongst the black community. And, you know, of course, we would want more people to get out there and get the help that's needed. But you can't go out there and get the help when you're not, you weren't taught that. We weren't educated on, oh, okay, if you're having, you're having a bad day, there could be a reason. Like she said, it, it could be an underlying issue that that person doesn't even know how to express, but they can express it by drinking or doing a drug. And, um, but my message in terms of how to stay sober or even from addiction, it's more or less like it, it, it takes a lot of willpower. Um, I, I've been to four rehabs over uh, since 2008. So I know the program. I, I know what works and what doesn't work. I know how to play the system. But it was just that last time where it was like, okay, I'm 36, 37. Do I want to live this life of being in a homeless shelter, taking a shower with like seven or eight men? You know what I'm saying? People want to fight you naked in the bathroom because you didn't want to share food. Like these are the type of things that people want to talk about, people want to address, but I can tell you, I see them myself and, and it wasn't easy. And for me, that was my reality. My wake up call was like, I don't want to live like this anymore. And, and I don't want to go through this. I don't want to hurt my family anymore as much as I you know, had already had. So for me, it was just sometimes people get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that was my thing. And so it was like, my mom told me, she's like, you never know what's going to happen to you once you get sober. And I was like, you're right. And it's been nothing but different things, but it's been good and positive. So for me is that my message is to let people know, like, okay, if you can stop it, and I can only speak for alcohol, but if if it was weighing you down like it was weighing me down, and, and, I, can, and I can kick it, then anybody can. And, and I, a, lot, a lot of good accomplishments have came out of me getting sober. And so that's, that's why I try to promote uh, positivity and sobriety because it's there. It's possible you can live your life. You can sit at a restaurant, you know, and eat, you know, be amongst good people and not have to worry about, oh, I have to be drunk or high or whatever it is. You can still have a good time. You just got to have limitations. And also, you know, cutting out some of those people that, that drink with you. You know, people, places, and things. If you don't do that, it's not going to, you'll be right back in, in, in deep in that same problem. Totally agree. I tell my ladies the same thing, and when they come in the house, I tell them like, "This is your time to be selfish because this is for you. Like, you can't do it for anybody else. You can't do it for your mom, your dad, your kids. Even it has to be something you want to do." And um, trying to piggyback on what Kenny was saying about, um, oops, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> right, right. Let me think for a second. Tell me what you just got through saying right before you said um, people uh, get rid of people. And yes, that's it. Yeah, and that's what I also tell my women too, because you know they tend to try to stay with the same friends and with the same group or whatever. And I tell them like you can't, you can't do that, especially if they're doing what you were doing to get you here. You know, they have to be around somebody that's supportive for you. You know. And if you don't have that, you're probably not going to be successful, unfortunately. You know, because you can't continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. 
So I try to get people to realize that, but it's really hard, especially if that's their core. You know, that's how they you know, were brought up or how, you know, that's their family or whatever the case may be. And it's like, it's hard for people to just cut people off completely. So I just always repeat that and just say, hey, it's up to you. You know, I'm just here as a support system. I want to provide you this stable environment. You know, if this is what you want to do. If not, you know, whenever you're ready. Mm -hmm. We're here. So. Before, too long. Do you plan to expand? Um, uh, uh, expand uh, scaling out, expanding your home. Um, that would be the goal. Yes, I would love to at some point. So you know, have multiple houses if I could. I mean, I actually enjoy doing what I do do when I'm doing it in the house. Um, you know, working with the ladies, trying to help them get resources. You know, sometimes we have groups if we need to, especially during COVID, when all the the support groups got shut down, you know, in person. And, you know, we had to hold our own groups in our house because, you know, I wanted to continue for them to have that support. I, didn't, I know it was already hard as it is and to be, like, totally cut off from everything that you're used to helping you. You know, I try to do my best. And, so, yeah, I would love to expand at some point. Lisa, what's your next step? I understand you have one book. If I understand correctly, you're working on another. What's the, what's the next, next, what's the next, next, next step for Kim Watson or 12 Faces of Sober? Oh, uh, 12 Faces of Sober. Um, I, I'm trying to make this a movement, you know. Uh, you know, you... Just, just, just looking on social media. It's not too many black sober people out there. Um, at least from what I, what I've, uh, you know, trying to tap into. But um, now that the, the pandemic is tapering off or whatever it is, um, I want to get the opportunity to do more public events. Um, just to get get the message out there. I've only done one public event. Um, Juneteenth in Jacksonville uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, I just want to expand it and just try to, uh, you know, just get on the road. You know, I, I love to travel and, and be able to speak speak as much as I can about this you know, sobriety because, you know, it's not something that people are talking about. Just like you said, you can go to a restaurant like here. I'm sure that you know we've seen people just being outside today, people drinking alcohol. And, go to sporting events it's right there I mean it's sad that you know you got it you, as soon as you walk into an arena that's the very first thing is more alcohol than there is water it could be hot as can be outside so I just you know I want to continue to, to spread the, the message of, of sobriety as well as I have some other books I'm going to uh, my next book is about uh, my army career and it goes in depth and the effects of an army career and alcohol and, you know, managing the two and um I, I was an athlete. I played a lot of sports growing up, but my best sport was baseball. So, um, and I was really good in the neighborhood, and I was like the only black kid that was good, and they still didn't like that. But I want to talk about the struggles of uh, a young black kid growing up in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood that was the best player out there. They, they wasn't happy about it. So, do that. And I, I have a couple more. I got a, a friend of mine. He wants me to do... Uh, do one on his his military career. He uh he was in the army and the air force. He deployed like three times, 
you know, suffered from PTSD, alcoholism, and I want to get his story out there because he saw it for himself. He saw the blood, the gore, the, the, the worst part of it, and a lot of times that stuff gets overlooked. They give you the awards for heroism, heroism, but they don't give you the awards for you know other things. So that's why I want to, yeah. So. That's what it's all about. And also, I just want to say thank you because Faith is, you know, I've known her for a while and she supported me. And, and that's important is to have a good support system and as well as Lloyd and Mrs. Mrs. Lloyd as well. You know what I'm saying? Because like the, the that's key in sobriety is having friends and family. And I've known both of these good souls um, since 2000. 2000 and 2001 and we've seen each other grow and, and it's amazing that we're, we're able to have this platform to sit and talk and and so i just thank you for for the opportunity all the way from jacksonville florida so, yeah so i yeah i appreciate it man this, this is an honor it's hot out here but you know we, we make it work so i wish you the best cool I'm, I'm, I'm here i want to be interviewed every month now I mean, it would be nice to have like something like this and grow it too. You know, have people like Kenny that have recovered and tell their stories, and people like me that are trying to be in the community and support people. So, yeah, especially of color. Yes, because we don't have a lot of that support. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. It's important for us to see us. Yeah. Yeah. We don't see that enough. No. Yeah, because I know when when you posted, I was like, hold on, share. <laughs> I went right away. Yeah, I was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, because I was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, because we're not seeing that. You know what I mean? And then it's it, it's a friend that have it, so it's even more support. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, I can only think of myself and. Georgia that have that are African Americans that have sober houses. I mean, when I go to the meetings, there's mm-hmm. not many of us at the meetings, you know, for the support system for addiction. Um, yeah, that leads to another question I want to ask. And, uh, is it cultural based? How, how important is uh, having a cultural? Uh, it, I think it's really important. I mean, just because we already know growing up African-American, our issues and things are different than other cultures. So, like I said, when I go to meetings, there's not many of us there. Even there's not many of us coming in to the sober houses for support. You know, we want to do it on our own like you were touched on mental health we don't want to talk to nobody about our problems or our issues we don't want anybody in your business you know stuff like that those are just all negative you know ways of thinking when you need help you know what i'm saying and i think it helps um when residents come into my house and they see i'm an african-american owner and they're african-american i think that relieves them in some kind of way they're like oh wow okay might have somebody that can you know relate to what what I'm going through or you know whatever so I would love to see more of us you know doing this and the support base in the community 
One at a time, we keep building it up. <laughs> so, you know, just hopefully, hopefully this could reach yeah. other entrepreneurs and philanthropists to, uh, yeah. to tackle this. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you all. Because yes, this is, we have to switch things <laughs> up. <laughs> we had a facility, but then went astray or whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, we were able to come to house. Shout out to them. Uh, for, uh, at least trying to accommodate, but it seems like getting a little noisy. I want to thank you all. Yes, thank you for inviting me. Coming, and uh, we'll do it again. We'll this is 4th of July weekend. We'll figure out another time to. Maybe we have another discussion and have maybe a therapist to join that conversation. Mm -hmm. That would be great. Awesome. You know, uh, join those topics. Mm -hmm. Thank you again. Yes. And uh, see y'all soon. Peace. 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 Peace.